in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. Three brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Hello, all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. Today, I am joined by not one great co-host, but by two great co-hosts. First, right here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania with me is Chad Robinson. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great this evening. Hello, podcast listeners. And not to be outdone, your other co-host, Brian Fry from Spokane, Washington. How you doing, man? Way out west. Doing well, Russ. How are you? I am doing dandy. This has been a heck of a week, but I got this movie in. Uh, baby life has uh, got me stretched this week, but I made time for the movie, so the listeners, you can have your movies too. So so when are you putting uh, Grant into sword fighting lessons? Oh man, as soon as possible. I mean, you can't wait too long on your Jedi training. I mean, Yoda was pretty clear about that. You can't get all the way up to Mark Hamill's age and start, so uh, yeah, yeah, we got to start him early. Yep. I have a baby-sized sword for him, so whenever he's ready. Absolutely. That's true. You got a sparring partner there with Belle? <laughs> Man, she's competitive. I, she would be the one. Let's break the ice here. What's the last movie you saw, Fry? Oh, man, that's actually a pretty good question. I would say the last movie I watched... I, I tell you what, it's not really a movie. Uh, I've been really digging in with uh, this movie called The First and or the show called the first it's sean penn and he's uh training a group of astronauts to be the first to land on mars and been really digging that recently not a movie but that's okay that's that is uh we'll go with that chad what about you what's the last movie you saw i watched uh gretel and hansel i was kind of excited for that it's a new horror uh take on hansel and gretel uh it it wasn't as great as I thought it would be, but it, I can see it being a, a cult hit amongst people. Not to jump in this pool, but I, I'll say that the most relevant movie I've seen recently was the newest Star Wars movie. Oh, you finally saw it. What did you think? I, f- I finally saw it. I, I liked it. I, I'm fine. Like, I, I went into it hearing all the torrent of, of positive and negativity and stuff, and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go enjoy this movie. And in the first 15, 20 minutes, I was ready to kind of throw in with some of the some of the poo-poo. And it hit me in the feels two or three times. And I was like, you know what? I love you, Star Wars. Let's hug. All right. Yeah. No throwing poo-poo. No, and, and for me, I actually saw 1995's Species for the first time. Hey, I've been recommending that for a while. You know what? Everyone says it's a bad movie and it's got a bad rating online, but... Maybe it's just because I was prepared for what it was. I had fun. This movie, yeah, yeah this movie is an enjoyable time for what it is. So uh, I feel like it's been unduly slandered. No, there's one to show to your kid. Right. When he gets older, I'm sure he'll be quite a fan of it. Natasha Henstridge is, uh, yeah, I think I think uh, once he gets to the right age, I'm sure he'll be a huge fan. <laughs> 
In the same vein, I actually got Jess to watch for the first time 1997 classic The Relic, oh. starring Tom Sizemore. Haven't done it myself, but I'll have to check that out. Now, the Oscars are here, and what Oscar-nominated movie from 2020 are you most eager to check out if you haven't seen it yet? I think for me, it's Parasite. I really like the director's other works. Uh, this this isn't horror, so I'm a... I'm a little nervous about that, but uh, his horror movies are great, so I, I think Parasite would be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Brian, what about you, man? I will say that, that Chad's right on on that. I, Parasite is the one that I've heard the most buzz about in terms of the, the typical stuff that I like, but I got to tell you, and I've already seen it, but uh, Ford versus Ferrari was so good. I went to see it with a car buff, like the guy who works at a car dealership and loves cars. And it was such a good movie. It was way more than I thought it would be. So uh, high hopes. I would like to see that one. I, I, there's a lot of them I want to see because I haven't done a good job of getting to the theaters. The Oscar movie that I would like to most see is Jojo Rabbit. It just looks so off the wall. Yeah. I, I will tell you that I had a coworker uh, suggest that to me yesterday based on my love of Korg. Uh, yeah, and 1917 looks pretty cool too, but uh, Jojo Rabbit's going to be my pick still. 1917's really high up on my list. I want to see that. I, I do too. It's really hard for me to get just two military movies. <laughs> I ended up seeing uh, Dunkirk with the same guy I saw Ford versus Ferrari with, so I, it's, it's, it's always a phone call saying, hey, do you want to have a guy night? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get into today's movie. This movie is what now? Highlander, because there can be only one, but they made several. Well, technically there can be several sequels. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> there um, were several. Highlander comes out in 1986. Uh, it grosses $5.9 million. That's uh, not a real strong showing, and it actually unfortunately does not recoup its investment, at least not on its initial box office run. Don't feel bad for it. It kind of makes it up later by becoming a cult classic, and the sequels actually made the other stuff more popular later. So it places 109th in the box office in 1986, right behind the My Little Pony, the movie. One of your favorites, Brian. <laughs> and uh, just ahead of Transformers, the movie. One of your favorites, Chet. Hey, that one was great. Very sad, though, for a kid's movie. Uh, if it doesn't have Shia LaBeouf in it, I know it's just not going to do it for you. <sighs> Man, <laughs> the number one movie that year is Valid. Top Gun. I'm sorry. What what was number one that what was number one that year? Top Russell? Gun. Okay, Top Gun. Right, Top Gun. Yes, number Tom one. Cruise and Val Kilmer. Okay. <laughs> Top Gun. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. I guess I uh, I got it on everybody else's skin, so that that one's gonna do it for me there. So uh, yeah. <laughs> It deserved it. Yeah. Better years have happened. Go see huh? Maverick. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. So the uh, IMDb gives this movie, uh, Highlander, that is, a 7.1. Rotten Tomatoes critics give Highlander a 69%. And the audience score gives it a 79%, which is a less funny number, but a better rating. <laughs> oh, man. Family show. It's it's like baby floats, man. I <laughs> Everybody's floating this movie. This was originally going to be a standalone movie, and it, like I said, it did not perform well. But uh, Highlander 2, The Quickening, came out in 91, 
and came out because this movie had kind of just developed enough fans from the science fiction community and ultimately it kind of spun off into its own world it had a tv series and some other parts of the world and so this thing is go this thing has grown over time so uh it's one of those things that uh, it's kind of an interesting phenomenon I, I guess it is a cult classic it's uh to me it's just always been there in that sci-fi fantasy realm that i don't think of it as such but it is it is now let's start with you uh fry why don't you go first here had you seen this movie before oh yes uh this was kind of just the way we said it it's it's a cult movie I loved the the premise of this, the underscoring plot of the entire Highlander franchise. So everything it ever did between the movies, the the Lambert movies, the Paul movies, the the Paul TV show, they even did an animated series for this premise. And the underlying premise I love. I, I feel like that is is an unassailable good idea. Execution across the board has been all over the place. Okay. I have not watched the movie in close to 20 years. And what's it like coming back to it? Wow. Uh, I, I, uh, <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have never watched this movie critically. I, um, it burned a little. <laughs> uh-oh, uh-oh, okay. Now, Chad, sounds like Fr uh, Fry had a little bit of trouble with it. Had you seen this one before? What was your take now? I had. Actually, Brian's the one that introduced me to this movie. It used to be I'd go over to his house and whatever Fry was watching, that's what we would do. Which was great because a lot of the stuff that he was into I'd never heard of. And I was like, what's Highlander? And he said, it's a bunch of immortals that decapitate each other. So, Say no more, I'm in. Um, I, <laughs> right? I, yeah, perfect. He got me into the TV premise. show. Unassailable premise. Unassailable premise. Yeah, what could possibly go wrong? Uh, <laughs> and, and John introduced me to Highlander too. Uh, John is my friend. I need to state that <laughs> for those of you that have seen Highlander too. <laughs> okay. He's like, he's like, there's a second movie. How's he, it? Hold, how's it holding up? Coming back to it now, though. I. You know what? It's a cheesy 80s movie. I love it, though. Um, I can look past the cheese. It certainly has its problems if you put its your critic glasses on. But sit back, get some popcorn, have some fun. Yeah, I want that to be like wildly understand, understood at the onset of this. That, that I'm, I'm not... It's not like I'm burning my copy of this or anything, but... I'm trying to go at this like from a standpoint of like okay, what? All right. <laughs> and and yeah, as an adolescent, I mean, I love this movie. I will never stop loving this movie. But as an adult and someone who's watched a lot more films since then, it's the Peter Griffin knee grab. It sounds like you kind of uh, stopped loving it. It's it's not it's not like I'm never gonna watch it again. I I just I will come back around to the jovial cheeky nature in which this movie was not even intending to be, but ended up being, and and that's fine. But I, ooh God, man, this rewatch was. I was like, why, what, why even, what? <laughs> okay, for me, I had not seen this movie all the way until probably my third or fourth year of college. And so 
I got to it way later. One of the things that made me want to get to it was there's a reference in Talladega Nights when Ricky Bobby suggests to Jean Girard, ever see the Highlander? He goes, no. Is it any good? Yeah, it won the Academy Award. What for? Best movie of all time. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, later on, Jean Girard sees it and says it sucks, and that makes Ricky Bobby mad. So uh, just to be in on the joke of a movie that I loved, I I was a little bit curious about The Highlander, and I had a roommate at the time who was a fan of The Highlander. And again, this 80s science fiction world, uh, he is the same friend of mine who introduced me to John Carpenter's The Thing and a few other 80s uh, delicious treats. And I had a fun time with this one. I, I got it so much later than you, Brian. I don't think that I had the bar set here up high necessarily from when I was younger. And so uh, I'm, I'm, we've probably had this debate before. There's certain parts of an older movie that I'm just willing to just say, okay, it's a product of its time and I'm willing to overlook that. And I was captured by the screenplay. And uh, which, like you said, the, the premise is just so good. Oh, yeah. Parts of the execution do work well, parts of the execution. Maybe not as much, but for my, my take on this is it's. It, it, I could see where you could totally rip on this movie, but on the other hand, you can't get too hard on it because it's just it's so enjoyable from the standpoint of it's an awful lot of fun. And uh, I, I have mixed feelings on, like, uh, do I want to see this thing remade or not? I almost always say don't remake anything. Come up with your own new idea. But this is one that I, I, I find myself going, like, what if we remade this? Yeah, to give listeners give... A, a sneak peek at uh, my enjoyment of this, I actually have replicas of the sword that Connor McLeod uses throughout this series. So I'm a big fan. I actually do too. <laughs> so, <laughs> while we're on the subject of that, um, I'll also say this, it just in terms of, of people saying, you know, get some new ideas and, and don't remake things of the past. If HBO were to give half the budget that they gave Game of Thrones to a Highlander series, I would I take my money. Take take my money. I will pay you money to make that series. Like give me a well executed five season remake of Highlander. Have my money. I was thinking more just maybe a movie or maybe a trilogy tops of movies. I don't, I don't need a whole TV series necessarily, but uh, I'm also a much bigger movie fan than TV show fan though. So maybe that's where I'm my bias on that. one. I think that you can have like, just because the, the plot of this is can go so deeply. I mean, I think uh, it was it six seasons, Chad for, for Duncan. Right about, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So six seasons, obviously the fifth and sixth kind of fell off a bridge a little bit, but uh, that happens. So I think if you gave, We'll call it four. Four, 12-episode, richly produced and written HBO seasons would be just the apple. But what always happens is if a show gets any degree of success, they try and extend it. And when the writers are forced to extend it beyond what they originally conceived, the show suffers in the end. And I guess you could say repeated sequels can have diminished returns and suffer from the same thing. But I feel like it's a far worse problem with tv shows clearly you're not th- familiar with game of thrones that was ended <laughs> early i um i think that for me uh just because i do think that there is so much of value in this they at one point tried to reconcile the connor mcleod movie line with the duncan mcleod television line and even that 
to many degrees was a disaster. For those of you who have not seen The Highlander, be aware there will be spoilers that lie ahead. So we will return after this with spoilers. Ladies, please calm yourselves. This is the Scottish sensation, Sean Connery. You probably know me as 007, or as People's Magazine's 1989 Sexiest Man Alive. Honestly, they call each year, and they try and give it to me again and again, but I decline and tell them, give somebody else a chance to win it. When I'm not entertaining the ladies, I listen to my favorite podcast, The Retro Movie Roundtable. If you want to be awesome like I am, give The Retro Movie Roundtable a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. Tell movie-loving friends to listen. Like the show on Facebook. Email John and Russell at RetroMovieRoundTable at Yahoo.com. I've won many awards, but the shining moment of my career was hearing John and Russell praise my acting performances on Retro Movie Roundtable. I think you'll love this show as much as the ladies love me. And we're back. And this is your final warning. There will be spoilers that lie ahead. So if you have not seen The Highlander from 1987, we recommend you watch it and then come back and enjoy the rest of this. Now, Chad, for those who haven't seen The Highlander since 1987, do you want to give people a refresher? Absolutely. So we have Connor McLeod, who's played by Christopher Lambert. He's an immortal born in the Scottish Highlands in the 16th century. He falls in battle to another immortal called the Kurgan, but makes a complete recovery from what otherwise would be a fatal wound. He's naturally kicked out of his village for being in leagues with the devil. A Spanish-Egyptian immortal, played by Sean Connery, now there's a fun sentence to say, uh, befriends him and trains him in sword fighting in immortal history, which is an elective as a historian I never got around to taking. He cautions Connor about forming lasting relationships with mortals since immortals cannot have children, and that's pretty much ignored entirely by Connor. Uh, Victor Kurgan kills Connor's immortal friend and Sean Connery and absorbs his energy in a process called the quickening and rapes Connor's wife, which is unbeknownst until later uh, by Connor. His wife eventually grows old and dies, and we skip forward 400 years to the 1980s. Why not? Uh, nothing happened between the 1500s and 1980s. Uh, Connor is hunted by a group of immortals in New York City who are trying to be the last immortal in order to receive the prize. And that's capitalized, the prize. Connor kills an immortal named Fossil and falls under investigation from the NYPD with a particular interest from Brenda Wyatt, who's a forensic scientist. Eventually, Brenda deduces Connor is hundreds of years old and they become lovers. Meanwhile, Kurgan, who is actually doing what he's supposed to, uh, kills... Connor's friend Castigier and confronts Connor. He kidnaps Brenda, engages in a long fight with Connor, and Connor eventually emerges victorious. He declares there can be only one and beheads Kurgan and receives the prize. His gift is that he can read people's thoughts, but as a bonus, he's now mortal and can have children. He returns to Scotland with Brenda and pledges to use his gift for good and never to make any terrible sequels. So he gets to be a Professor X, but he gets to keep his hair. It's a pretty good deal. Absolutely. Be kind of awkward, though, being Brenda. It's like, you you can read my thoughts now? Are we sure about this? It's basically what women want. <laughs> <laughs> with Bill Gibson. I, 
All right. Jumping to my recast with Jack Nicholson. Okay. Just cut in there. I, uh, I'm, I'm thinking just right now, like that immediately spun, spun up my, uh, memories of the, the first sequel and, uh, <laughs> so Gregory Wyden was inspired to write this story uh, as a young man, actually, while visiting Scotland on vacation. He was visiting a museum in Edinburgh and came across a suit of armor and wondered what it would have been like for those who have worn the armor to be alive today. And uh, that's great uh, creative thinking to take that and to build a whole world off of that. And so uh, it's just it's a really interesting premise, I think, as Brian and I have both said, Brian, why don't you tell us the good news? What is it you love about this story? See, I had just always assumed that he uh, he ran a crash uh, across a, a trashy romance novel in an airport and said, "Ooh, Highlander, good idea." What makes this good is if you like if you take it at its bare bones. the The premise of the movie of there are immortals among us that have been born I, and have lived for. Some hundreds of years, some thousands, and the more immortals you kill, the more powerful you become. You have to chop off their head, and with that, you get their wisdom and power. That is a phenomenal premise. Like that is that is something that you can really that the fact that they thought this was just going to be a one-off was surprising to me uh, because man, this is a gold mine. You could do anything with this. And then they later did with the television show. I mean, there's the, you can get a lot of mileage out of this. And I think the, the thing that I also kind of realized later on in life, and this was something that I kind of put more words to rewatching it this time, is there's something in this premise for everybody. If you are an older male watcher, you get... they, they spend tons of history into this they give you world war ii flashbacks they if you watch the show they he's everywhere basically he's a part of everything that ever happened in history if you're a younger guy it's sword fights and decapitation that's what's up Uh, wait a minute wait a minute did sarah like this movie chad as a rom-com animation fan (laughs) i i didn't show it to her i told her it was a scottish immortal beheading people and she said nope Okay, so there's not Hard something pass. for everybody. But go on, Brian. But she didn't give it a shot, so she doesn't know. I bet if she watched the TV show. So I'm getting to the, the if you're a young female or an older female, you get a whole bunch of Christopher Lambert and or Adrian Paul with their shirt off. So I feel like that, plus the fact that it, this is heavily steeped in romance. You have his romance initially as a young Highlander. You have his romance later on in life if you've watched the show you get a plethora of romances he has had across the ages and i would even say that this there's tenors of this there there are veins of this uh all over outlander which is a huge series right now in terms of the time travel piece the time period and locational pieces of this so i i feel like this has had echoes through other successful things whether or not they're actually involved or not so I just think that, that the bones of this is, are excellent. Like there's so much to work with here. It really depends on execution. Reading about the novelization, it seems like something that was so be up your alley, Brian, because they go into a lot more detail, particularly with the Kurgan's backstory. It's a lot darker. It's more serious and grittier. And these are all things that judging by comments you've made in the past, 
uh, just seems like the, actually going back and doing something close to the source material would just make you a very happy person. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Now, Chad, as far as the story goes for you, is it working for you? I could have used a little bit more history. They, wow, they really? cut off. Yeah, stunning. They, they Watch the show. Yeah, I know. The, the TV series is excellent. I, I loved it also. A fry introduction to my life, so... I, I just wanted to see different points. It's it's a very jarring skip. We'd briefly have World War II, and it wasn't really explained who that was. It winds up being Rachel. That would have been a cooler cut to leave in. But yeah, I, I wanted more sword fights through history, but my appeal is, is really towards what Fry's saying with the younger generation. It's just sword fights decapitation and bonus for me queen music so all of that together makes me happy yeah and there this movie makes a number of departures as i mentioned not just in tone but in terms of substance uh, you get a lot more of the trek through time there's the gothic era there's roman eras there's uh attila like the kurgan fights with the huns uh, as well and the Mongol uh, raiders. So there's just, there's so much ground, like Fry said, to mine and to cover. So when you make a movie, you're going to have to focus it down. But one thing they, they did do well is, uh, in terms of later subsequent novelizations, talk more about the quickening and the absorbing of the powers. That was not in the original source material. So if you were to go back and be closer to the source material, that really interesting part of this that I also like that Brian mentioned was something that they kind of skipped forward and brought into this movie knowing that they wanted a standalone movie, and I'm glad they did that, because this would not be nearly as interesting without knowing that part of it. Oh, absolutely not. That's the best part of the quickening. Not to uh, jump train tracks on movies here, but in the movie where they did try to kind of intermix the the Connor-Duncan story arc, spoilers here as well, it's called Highlander Endgame, so if you're planning on also watching that and haven't, you might want to fast-forward, 30 to 45 seconds but in it like when connor basically forces duncan to take his head and they become you know one they do this actually kind of cool thing where as they're fighting the main bad guy his face morphs between the two of them and that was actually one of the few things that i thought was cool because here you have two characters who have had similar paths along taking heads and and becoming more powerful, joining together to become immensely more powerful. And it was the first time they really showed, like, at some point, if you take someone's head who's so powerful and taken so many other heads, is there a blurring of personality? Is there a, like, okay, you just absorbed a whole other person's wisdom of their entire life, which has been hundreds of years, like, does that, how, how basically does that change you? I don't know, but according to eight heads in a duffel bag, having too many heads on your hands can be quite a difficult thing. <laughs> <laughs> we ain't got nobody. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I love that movie. <laughs> um, not to totally shift tracks though, but uh, one of my biggest questions that came along this plot is, who is this machine gun bearing marine guy that's just driving around the streets and like, what's up these two people with a sword? I got to shoot these guys. Hey, that was a requirement of the 80s. <laughs> yeah, I just assume that's like the, every city had one, like the town drunk. Like you have the town like PTSD Marine that drove around in his, you know, Impala 
with a trunk of guns. Is that not true? I don't know, I, but it's like the guy who watched like have the I Punisher. been lied to my whole life? <laughs> He's like, I can be the Punisher too. He's the reason for New York's gun laws. <laughs> NRA. I also like how he didn't get an answer. He's like, hey, what's going on here? And then like somebody cuts off the other guy's head and he's just like, I don't have an answer, but I'm just going to start shooting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Frank I've Reynolds. So things, anyway, man. I started blasting. I've seen things. <laughs> no, sorry. That was the one thing that just like in this movie is just like, wow, that was way out of left field. I think I liked it and it was kind of funny, but uh, that came out of nowhere. <laughs> There's a lot of 80s tropes to just enjoy. I'm actually surprised with some of the hair metal ballads that you uh, you aren't tearing your own hair out. I don't know that I'd go full-blown hair metal. Uh, we'll, we'll get to the music later, but uh, it, it's not what you'd think. That's for sure. Uh, why don't we talk about the cast here a little bit? Brian, do you want to do a, give us a cast rundown? The rundown on the cast for this is going to be Connor McLeod, played by Christopher Lambert. We have Roxanne Hart playing Brenda Wyatt, Clancy Brown playing Kurgan, Sean Connery playing Ramirez, Betty Edney playing Heather, Alan North playing Lieutenant Frank Moran, Sheila Gish as Rachel Elstein, John Polito as Detective Walter Bledsoe, Hugh Karshry as Sonda Castigar. Nice. And Christopher Malcolm as Kirk Menunis. I think that's as far as I'll go, just because it gets it gets a little weird. I will say hats off to, to James Cosmo as Angus McLeod. This guy's been playing a Scottish badass for years. Yep. I'm glad you mentioned him. Yeah, I I, I just remember seeing it. I was like after he kicked Connor McLeod out of his uh of the village, um, he went on to help Mel Gibson win Scottish freedom. I think it's worth yeah. mentioning uh, Celia Emery as Kate as well. Okay. So Kurt Russell was originally cast as Connor McLeod, but he pulled out of the project. His girlfriend Goldie Hawn's insistence at the time, so she wasn't digging it. Uh, he instead starred in Big Trouble in Little China, which was uh, more profitable that year. Uh, so maybe he made the right choice from a financial standpoint. But other actors were considered, uh, including Michael Douglas, Richard Gere, Patrick Swayze, Michael Norrie, Richard Norton, Peter Weller. Ron Perlman, Liam Neeson, Gary Oldman, Viggo Mortensen, Val Kilmer, Bill Paxton, Michael Bean, Stephen Lang, Jeff Goldblum, Christopher Reeve, Kevin Costner, Sting, Mark, Mark Singer, Mickey Rourke, Ed Harris, Sam Shepard, David Keith, Michael Keaton, Mel Gibson. So if you were pretty much a male in the 80s and in movies, you got considered for this movie. That's the longest list of considerations I've ever heard. I <laughs> I, I, I want a minute. Like I, I wish I... I we're not going to do this, but I want a minute to speak to every single one of those because <laughs> there are some gems in there. There are like, seriously, there's some of those where I'm like, Ooh, that would have been good. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, that would have been good. Oh my God. Why? That would have been amazing. Oh no. <laughs> like you were going and I was like, ah, Oh, Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, Ooh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeff, Gold, Jeff Goldblum like, was the number one on them that made me go like, I love the guy, but you, that's a bad idea. You, <laughs> you took me you took me on an emotional roller coaster of ideas right there. 
but then they pick the dude that doesn't speak English at all. Not even a little bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> how does he get cast? Like, how does that work? There's just like that guy. Let's pick that guy. Well, Connor, hey, it is we... weird. Some of the dubbing on this is very bad. Well, so as you as you're talking here, uh, for those of you who aren't following along, Christopher Lambert, the guy who plays Connor McLeod in the lead role, uh, spoke absolutely no English. So uh, he's born in New York City, actually, but he grows up, uh, you know, speaking French. And so uh, doesn't speak a word of English. And I think to your point, Chad, I think that they just said this is a handsome man who looks intense and, you know, has that lean build. And this is what we're looking for. I, I don't know. And he rocks the long Scottish hair. And I guess they said this is what we need. I, I, I mean, he'd look the part anyway. But does he, though? Does he rock the long hair? <clears throat> Better than Mel Gibson in Braveheart. Fair. That's a wig, though. Oh, yeah, they're, they're both, both wigs. Like. I mean, I'm just saying he has a Christopher Lambert has a better hairpiece than Mel Gibson does. I will mm-hmm. defend Christopher Lambert with long hair. He is Lord Raiden in Mortal Kombat, and it's great. Oh. There. But, uh, okay. no, I mean, he, he, he trained extensively with the swordsmanship, and he did look the part. And as far as uh, the intensity and stuff, you're right, Brian, though. But when you're acting in a language that's not your own, I feel like you're doing it with one hand tied behind your back. <laughs> like all the laughing pieces, I'm just like, oh. No, oh. there were some rough lines in there. I thought there were like when he was talking to Barbara in her apartment, there were some really rough moments there. He's like, mm. <laughs> what do you want? Have you ever thought about what I want or anybody else? I'm like, ooh. Elocution. T- cut. Do it again. Game. Cut. Do it again. Uh, this is from the same era that Jean-Claude Van Damme is around, so I'm fine with Christopher Lambert. And, and, and I think that's it. I think that's a that's an excellent point, Chad. Like, this is an era where that doesn't matter. I mean, they open this movie up with a wrestling match. Like, yes. not, not, not like a boxing match, a wrestling match. True. Like, straight up WCW, WWF wrestling match. They let you know what you were in for in this movie without you knowing it early. Oh, I was excited. That was uh, that was half of the wild Samoans out there. That was Fatu, <laughs> uh, Rikishi's twin brother. That's awesome. Now, Connery made a big impact in this movie, but when you think about it, he's really not in it that long. He did all of his filming in one week's uh, schedule, and uh, he had a bet with director Russell Melicki that... Uh, they would not finish in seven days. Uh, Meliki won the bet, but Connery earned $1 million for his uh, couple of uh, days' time of work. So uh, uh, Connery, short run, but he got his money, even though the money didn't show up at the box office. So win for Connery. But he and Lambert got along fantastically, apparently, That's so much so that Connery actually comes back for the sequel. Does Connery <laughs> speak French? I'm curious. I don't like, know, but he's to, not Egyptian. Were they able to... <laughs> no, yeah or spanish uh, yeah I, I was oh yeah i was gonna bring this up later but i was like this might be the best worst casting ever like all they had to do to fix this is say oh i'm a scott from an earlier time why on earth would you like i get why they get a scotsman to train another scott but why on earth would then you make him a spanish egyptian character <laughs> that, i was just like that, Oh, God. When that he is was, the exact... When he was explaining himself. Hey, was, it's just like when we talked about uh, Hugh like... Griffith in uh, the 1959 Ben-Hur movie. I mean, uh, you had uh, an old English white dude playing uh, a Middle Eastern, uh, you know, Persian. But but to Fry's point, 
he is Scottish. Like, yeah, I mean, this is this is like super easy to like gloss over this point. Out of all the things, out of all the creative changes you can make, Sean Connery is by far the best part of this movie. He's also the of, most Scottish of, part. of ability. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, you you have a gym here. Why do you have to sully that by being like, I worked for a Spaniard, but I'm actually Egyptian? Yeah, for I nailed it. In my notes, I, after that line, I put one word, and it was, why? (laughs) Well, otherwise he would know what haggis is, so then we couldn't have the entertaining conversation where he calls him haggis, and he says, what is it? It's like lamb intestines. What do you do with it? You eat it. Hey, they, they, they may have not invented haggis yet. You don't know when haggis was, was invented. He could be that old. He's just been out of town for a while. I won't be ordering <laughs> he it could anytime be, soon, though, based on the description. He, he, could, be, he could be as well-traveled as Uncle Argyle. <laughs> Steer this back into the casting notes, though. <laughs> Russell, uh, I know you're a big fan of Tanya Roberts. I saw she was considered for Brenda. Oh, there uh, but, were a ton of people considered for her. Yeah, I I, she, I, I love Tanya Roberts. Maybe you can say guilty pleasure, but uh, could you imagine the Beastmaster and the Highlander coming together? That sounds pretty sweet. Yeah, she she went on to do a View to a Kill instead. Mm. So yes, I uh, I disagree with that decision. Oh, mm. I I'm I'm just a fan of hers. I don't know. Well, she's she's pretty. Yeah. Um, yeah, Brooke Adams was originally the cast, though, to be Brenda and uh, Rosanna Arquette, Jennifer Beale, Tanya Roberts, Elsa, Elizabeth, sorry, Elizabeth Brooks were all considered for the role of Brenda as well. Roberts turned down the role to star in a James Bond movie, View to Kill, at this time, so she made the right choice. Also, recently that we covered this year, Karen Allen, Lorraine Bracco, Kate Capshaw, mm. Glenn Close, Lisa Elbacher, Kim Greist, uh, Linda Hamilton, Diane Lane, Karen McCormick, Demi Moore, Annette O'Toole, Elizabeth Perkins, Annabella Scora, Catherine Mary Stewart, Diane Verona, Cella Ward, Sigourney Weaver, and Sean Young were all on the list of people who could have been casted as Brenda as well. Again, I've never seen such a long list of possible people who could have been in the role. Did I overload I like you again, Brian? So can, can I, yeah, can I just say that, like, you look at the star power that was being considered for this movie, and again, I get that it's a cult following hit, but this could have could have been a blockbuster movie. This this could have been one of those movies that people hold up as a uh, you know Top Gun, and um, <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> and, and yet and yet you know. Look at what we got. There, there were, there were questionable decisions made at every level of this movie. In every, just nook and cranny, there were questionable decisions made, and yet it, it was still a long-term success. In fairness, I could see a lot of people turning this down because it's not a very good part for a lead female part. If you were making this movie today, Brenda's role would be probably a better role. What a strange role. I mean, it's like, what is her job other than metallurgy expert? Like she was consulting with the NYPD. They never really made that clear. She's a, she's forensics. Yeah. Forensics forensics person. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She just also happens to be like her side, I guess like her hobby doctorate or whatever is, is metallurgy. So she writes books about ancient swords. Because clearly, she dropped the every, book on her desk. 
Yeah, every, uh, you know, police department has someone who also has a PhD in exactly what you need to find a killer in this scenario. <laughs> yeah. Now, a much shorter list of other fun alternative castings was for the role of the Kurgan. Now, uh, Clancy Brown was a, a great choice, in my opinion. This is another one of the castings that did go well. But also considered were Scott Glenn and Roy Schneider. Uh, they were the top choices for the role. I don't like them as much as Clancy Brown. And also Nick Nolte was considered for the role as well. Sorry, Probably Ryan, I didn't no have idea. a list of 50 people. That's no, okay. I'd love to see. <laughs> I have spoken. <laughs> Sorry, Nick. Nick Nolte is uh, is a little fresh for me right now with the the, the Mandalorian. So uh, uh, yeah, I'm just sitting here thinking of uh, Nick Nolte and the the Kurgan's place, and and yeah. So anyway, pardon my aside. I wonder if you cast Sting, do you have to have his songs in there? It didn't happen. <laughs> he just overrides Queen completely. Like no, the police. <laughs> Or do they take all of his music out of the film like we had in Emperor's New Groove? <laughs> Maybe they lure Sting in saying, like, don't worry, you can do all this music. And then in the end, eh, we're just going to put that one song in the credits. <laughs> yeah, I, you're, it doesn't work. I, I think it would have been a really fun, just knowing now how many different castings there are, I think it would have been fun to have, like, a, a bobble game where it's like, and your opinion of... Pop, Liam Neeson with Karen Allen. Oh, this could have been a mate. Pop. Yeah. One of the people I don't. Yeah. <laughs> Michael <laughs> like, Keaton and Demi Moore. Yeah. Oh, God. That would have been, oh, uh, you know, just, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I've, oh. <laughs> so this was made on what? Like a $12 million budget and Sean Connery ate up one twelfth of it by himself. He's the best part of the I was going to say, I mean, if you're going to spend your money on this, on this production, easily the best part he of the easily deserves the, the most money here. So <laughs> he worked for only a week, apparently, but uh, it's still, I would still pay him the most, too. And he yeah. was drunk the entire time. <laughs> I think show. that's probably been true of most of these movies that he's in, but yeah. <laughs> so, again, we talked about some of the differences in this, but uh, I, some of the interesting things from the book to this that I thought were interesting as we talk about kind of the film creation, how it came to be written. In the book, Heather is Connor's beloved wife in the movie does not exist. Yes, uh, Heather in the movie is Connor's beloved wife, and uh, she doesn't exist in the book. In the book, he's promised to a young girl named Mara. And he loves her, but she later rejects him when she finds out he's an immortal. And instead of being banished, which I actually like this part where they thought he was the devil, he just leaves. Uh, and Ramirez was a Spaniard rather than an Egyptian, which, like you said, why add that? But they, they did add that. And uh, the Kurgan was known as the Knight using the alias of Carl Smith. He was just, he was not a savage, but more of just a cold-blooded killer, which that's that's a small difference to... Um, and, uh, uh, you can't have your villain named Carl Smith. Yeah, and you, the immortal. I don't know, man. It, given that time where a lot of that suburbia, like who's who is your neighbor kind of aspect, I think that actually would have played into the movie's uh, popularity. <laughs> and uh, the immortals could have children was the other big difference in the book. And Connor is said to have gone to the funeral of some of his sons and was said to have thirty-seven children, uh, or. So that's uh, that's a big difference as well. 
He's up there with Antonio Cromarty. <laughs> but these are, like I said, the book was a lot grittier. I know the Kurgan's first death was from his dad, like smashing his head in with a rock was another one of these things. What I'm kind of getting at is, did you like the changes in the movie? Because I think I did like this lighter tone that they took. And uh, you have to distill it down. I thought they actually did a really good job. If you're going to make one standalone movie with what they got to. Yeah, I, I like it. It's lighthearted. I think it knows that it's cheesy and leans into it quite a bit. So it, we don't need someone's dad crushing his head with a rock to make him the bad guy later on. I like the Kurgan just being a nightmare for Connor that follows him throughout history. Yeah. So... Let, let me go this route with you. Just just out of curiosity, this is going to be one of those Marvel what-if moments. Um, what if somebody got this screenplay and they casted it the way they wanted it and said, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to be... It is going to be a darker movie. Let's say like John Carpenter-esque or something like that. So I'm not suggesting it's a horror movie. I'm just saying it's, it's, it is a much darker movie. Do you think that given the, the, the bones being as good as they are, do you think if they cast it differently and they made it less ridiculous, I still think it would have kept the cult following based on premise the same way that other movies like Blade Runner, which has a phenot like just the, the, the premise of it is so good that it has staying power. So I think you could have made this a darker movie. You could have made this a less lighthearted movie. You could take out some of the just outlandish inaccuracies that were frankly unnecessary and still made this a, made this a highly compelling movie. Yeah, so you want to make The Dark Knight with Highlander. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what it is. We came off of uh, Joel Schumacher into Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. Yeah, you can transition to it, but... I don't know. I, I think 80s cheese is its own cult classic. It is. It is. It, and, and you're not wrong. I, I mean, even The Thing had its lighthearted moments. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm Big not Trouble in you, Little China is... Yeah, Big, tri- oh, big Trouble. I, yeah, absolutely. I will defend it, but it's not a great movie at its heart, but I love it. So, Russell Mulkey filmed the movie using a music video techniques, as he put it, with fast-cutting paste, uh, lots of you know, modern music injected into it at the time. He's not got a huge list of direct direction movies. I mean, Resident Evil Extinction is uh, one Ooh. of the more recent movies that he's done. <laughs> the, the Shadow with Alec Baldwin was another one. Uh, yes! The Bill McCoy, and then Highlander 2, The Quickening. But, uh, so yeah, he's, okay. So you and guys have... Bunch yeah! Of Durand, oh, Durand. Yeah! Oh. So I think that you guys have... Uh, been critical on the director aspect of this movie what is it that probably wasn't working for you as much brian why don't you take this one first just a little bit more focus i i think it if you took out it it just it had so much like oh it's a this and then we'll add a this and because it sounds cool we're gonna add this like all of those additives could have been stripped away and you still would have been sitting there with a very compelling movie that you're not giving people targets. Like there was no, I know we've said it, but there's no reason to have Sean Connery, a Scott be a Spanish adjunct to a King, but actually from Egypt. 
Like, that's just crazy. Like, why would you do that? So, Except for that I, I, one joke of, I can't swim, you Spanish peacock. I'm not Spanish. I'm Egyptian. <laughs> like, he said that, and you're just like, I'm just flabbergasted right now. <laughs> so I just, I feel like if you strip down some of the, yeah, I feel like there was a lot of yes men in this movie that they were just like, hey, what if we did this? And and five or six guys were standing there, oh, yeah, 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 we should totally do that. Oh, that's that's brilliant. It's brilliant. We should absolutely add that. Take all that out. I bet you save a million dollars from all those yes men. Just make the movie and still gets all the following you get. Yeah. Yeah, my my issue with, with him, and I think it comes from this music video background, because you can do it in music videos and it makes sense, but he has a lot of these long lingering shots on just objects and there's nothing else going on. And throughout the movie, I'm like, all right, yep. That's a book. That's a sword on the ground. Let's move on. Let's uh, <laughs> let's frame some characters here. I think that he has great moments and crushing defeats. It's actually one of the most uneven direction runs I've seen. The locations they pick are phenomenal, which is something the director gets a lot of credit for. And I, I'm not going to quite be as hard as Brian is on the focus. I think he did a good job of paring this massive amount of story down. And in fairness, Gregory Wyden wrote a screenplay, but they actually came back and rewrote it with uh, two other screenwriters uh, and made it more manageable. And I, all of that was working for me, but the sound was rough. Uh, and I don't mean the music as much. I meant the sound editing to what Brian said. People's voices don't line up all the time. Uh, the mumbling, the quietness, followed by crashing. The transitions of the scenes are actually really nice visually, but then the sound is garbage as they transition from this. Audio-wise, this is, this is one of the biggest audio disasters, and that's a strange thing to pick on, but more than anything, the sound really took me out of it. It, it does. Oh, yeah, the, Ker- the Kurgan fight where Heather, like, she's silent through most of it and then it cuts to her and she's screaming her head off and then it goes back to silence right it's there's no balance either like brenda like she's screaming so loud in new york that you can probably hear like over in queens (laughs) it it really does it shakes you out of the moment like there's there are things where you're just like okay this is not smooth this is not I, I, yeah. It, it they filmed just, some hard stuff to film. Like they filmed them walking through water under in a lake. That looked good. They filmed them through the woods. It looked good. They filmed them in dark atmospheres of garages and warehouses. That's a hard thing to do in the eighties. And they actually got a lot of the lighting uh, well. Some of the camera angles are creative. Like when they're in his apartment in that circular room. What an interesting room to find and how they kind of rotated around. That's good work. But then there's other moments, like when they're in Brenda's apartment and the Kurgan's coming after her, you've got like these bright neon blue lights all of a sudden and the neon red lights and it looks like an 80s horror movie or some kind of bad B action movie or something like that. And it, it's just so uneven. It's, it's really wild, really, to see how good it can be and also at the same time how bad it can be. And maybe that's kind of this movie in a nutshell at times. Yeah. That explains it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that. Yeah. Yes. Any other thoughts on the direction, Brian? I think I cut you off there. I think that what you really get here is it is a product of, of time spent, and it's also a product of what I think people will like versus staying true to what a, a movie continuity would be. And there's so many points in there where you see a spike of 
this will be popular. People dig this. Let's add just monumental sparks every time swords touch each other. Sparks. Huge Ted Nugent music video sparks. That's what I want. <laughs> Boom. Sparks. I think they had to compete with Star Wars, though, because Star Wars had like these broadsword type fighting and then you know it, it, it illuminated and sure enough this is coming off the heels of that stuff and i mean it, you know how do you go back to regular swords after you've had lightsabers and I, I think that he felt the pressure to like you said electrify those swords there there were more explosions in this movie than a michael bay film it was I just had that thought too <laughs> I was just like, like and michael bay explosion that's a good point uh, after, after a Clancy Brown takes out the uh, what was the Black Highlander's name or sorry the Black uh, Immortal's name oh, I don't have it right in front of me oh uh, anyway after uh, yes. after the Kurgan takes out the next to last Immortal in that alleyway after and man you're right the whole alleyway gets lit up with explosions and I'm sitting there going like eh, that's a lot of pyrotechnics it just it reminds me of a wrestler coming down the ramp like, oh, it, yeah. it, I feel like they set you up at the very beginning saying you're about to see WCW Raw Highlander edition. And all you get is like, and swords, explosion, sword, explosion, knock the sword out of yeah. your hand. Oh, I hit a power line explosion. I think it's what happens if Kylo Ren is your director where he where they're like, <laughs> they start blowing stuff up. Like, more, more, more. <laughs> The one, that's a great point, but the the one that really drove me nuts is when they're inside the stone tower of a house, and yeah. every time they were striking yes. the stone, it explodes. I'm like, what? That sword is so powerful, it can knock over hundreds of okay. pounds of stone. Stone construction of castles back then are still standing to this day. It does not fall over from a sword fight. Even though these guys are immortal and they have electrified blades, I was not a fan of the crumbling tower. Can we talk about how they they strap car batteries to the actors in able in order to get the swords to spark? Tell yeah, <laughs> that's Which true. Which insurance company is approving that? I can't see Christopher Lambert kind of looking over there. It's like, it's like, hey, remember, you don't speak English. Okay. You're lucky to be here. <laughs> yeah, I know it's Spanish. I'm sorry, it's Spanish, not. French. <laughs> That's all right. In this movie, Spanish, French, Egyptian, whatever. I feel like it. I feel like it fits. <laughs> it's all the same. And then Sean Connery reminds you, "I'm only here for a week." <laughs> you, you, you know what really got me ticking, though? What really, like, my brain was like, "You have a guy who shows up with a sword and a briefcase, and he puts the puts it together like a sniper rifle, and it's supposed to stand up against a uh, samurai sword that is." So old it shouldn't even exist. Now, which which version of this do you did you watch? Did you watch the British or the extended version or the director's cut, as it's often referred to, or did you watch the American theatrical release, Chad? I watched the extended ed- edition. Me too. So World War Two flashbacks, everything. Yeah, same. you did too. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting. They cut eight minutes for the American version in the, the in the theaters, and that's the you know a common version that's out there. The opening flashbacks in Scotland aren't in there. Connor sitting in the stadium. That part's not in there because I actually pretty sure I did not see this the first time because the beginning of this movie is just like, this doesn't remember. This isn't registering at all. So it was interesting to see the director's version now. And uh, Connor's wife, first wife saying goodbye to him as he rides off into battle. That wasn't there. Uh, the backflips in the garage that you're not a fan of, Brian, were not there. 
and uh, the flashback in World War II uh, was not there as well, and that's uh, that's a shame because I like that part. The fact that the backflips were part of the director's cut is just damning to me. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, just, dude. <laughs> hey, he was doing flips. There were other We've scenes. Gotta get this in. And there were other scenes that were just completely damaged and lost he, uh, forever. So other deleted scenes include like a flashback where Sean Connery, uh, or sorry, where Connor meets Thomas Jefferson. And uh, they go out for a drink in a bar. They meet Detective Walter Bedsoe, who ends up drinking and partying with them. And the scene ends up uh, with an expanded more on Castigar and uh, Connor's relationship as they reveal and meet in the Revolutionary War. So uh, that's a tangent for sure. <laughs> I like it. Oh, you like that's it? Okay. okay. <laughs> well, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> out of all the ridiculous in this, that's what you cut out. <laughs> Okay. Let's have it. Let's have it. So did you like how they handled the going back and forth between time? I mean, this is no, I mean, it's not as intricate as Christopher Nolan in terms of jumping back and forth. This is no The Prestige. But did you like how they handled that aspect of it, at least, Bri? Uh, Yeah. I mean, look, anytime you have a a segue piece like this, especially when it's, it's maybe not as well uniform in terms of uh, skill set. I, I definitely think that people have built on this skill over time based on things that they think that their predecessors could have done better. So, no, it's fine. I, I kind of like how the Highlander series over time have used different film techniques to do that that flashback. Like They do kind of like a, a mile-long stare for a minute and zoom in on the eyes before they go oh, into love a flashback. That. Yeah, I mean it's it's great because you know you're you're literally going into a memory, and uh, so in that realm, I think this is this is as good as any film has done, just based on using one technique to signify, hey, you're about to go back in time. Yeah, no, it's a great uh, choice. What about you, Chad? Did you like the balance of flashback versus present day? Uh, I I'm not a huge flashback fan. Uh, I could have done it maybe once or twice, but I, I think they overdid it a little bit for my personal taste. So it's no Citizen Kane for you then? <sighs> just just the fury about that movie. <laughs> We're a positive show, so uh, I, I will say that movie positively sucks. <laughs> just so the listeners know, you will notice over the course of this show... We will crush each other on the movies that we love and hate based on our own personal preferences. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was better than Citizen Kane. Fight me. I will fight you on that. <laughs> I won't. I'm your resident. I'm your resident. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles didn't hold up uh, uh, guy. Um, I, I will just purely on rewatchability. I'm not going to say film to film, but I will say on rewatchability. Highlander, Highlander, we got to get back to Highlander. (laughs) (laughs) You started this rabbit hole. It's your fault. I did. I did. Now, we got a lot of beautiful locations. Now, we and then also you got some inspiring New York stuff. And a lot of it that's in New York is actually filmed in London, which is a fun fact as well. Now, did you like where this movie was shot, at least, Chad? I like the Scottish Highlands, but I have to roll my eyes a little bit. It's like after 400 years, where do you wind up? Of course it's New York. 
Come on. It's the it's, it's the center of where things are happening, though. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, that would be what you would do. You would drift between Rome and then London and then New York. I mean, that's if you were an immortal, wouldn't you find yourself in the center of action so often? I feel like it's coming to America. There are so many choices. Yes. <laughs> so, so where do we go? New York or Los Angeles? <laughs> okay. What about you? What about you, Brian? You know, so many of these movies uh, revolve around the places that they were probably thought up in. Your, you know, New York, LA, stuff like that. I wouldn't begrudge a movie taking place, you know, idealistically in those locations. But given the the nationalities of most of the people involved, this might have been a cooler movie had it been in London or Stockholm or Berlin or something like that, just to give a little bit of flavor to it. Well, you had a little bit of Germany. True, but I mean, just to but to schmooze over some of the the roughness of transitions and the roughness of language, you know, the the dub over stuff. I think that you probably could have given a nod to Europe at least a little bit in making this not so cacophonous when it came to some of Christopher Lambert's speaking parts. Man, that was one of his worst parts, too, when he's like, uh, sure thing, Jack, you're the master race. (laughs) I I like that cheese, though. I'm fine with that. But, Fry, you hit a very interesting point. I kind of want to see this in Paris now. I want to see them going into, like, Notre Dame. Well, this might frustrate you, but the sword fight that they filmed on top of the roof as well as in the parking garage. This is all shot in England and like the London area. And they uh, couldn't shoot in a parking garage there because they like American parking garages have a higher floor to floor, you know, height. And so they ended up shooting a lot of this in a market. So uh, and emptying that out. So that was kind of an interesting thing where you're what you're discussing, Brian, is you wished it had just been London. And, uh, you know, they're not in Madison Square's parking garage, they're they're doing a lot of this stuff over there. And originally, the climax of the movie was supposed to take place on top of the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, that would have been cool. They moved, uh, so for those of you who don't know, outside of being an enthusiast of the Highlander TV show, I was also a big fan of La Femme Nikita as a TV show. And they moved locationally in terms of where the show says it is multiple times in both. And both being heavily drawn from uh, foreign actors, I think there's just a somewhere in the realm of this, like it would have just benefited to be locationally relevant. Sure. And uh, now, what did what did you think about the look of them as they're going through Heim? Is, or is the wardrobe doing a good job of supporting you throughout the eras? I think the one thing that they really nail well in this is in this day and age or at least in the 80s like trench coats were huge what a great way to hide a sword i thought the 80s was a horrible time for trying to at one point like looking good brenda i was like brenda is not looking good like this is this is is not roxanne hart's fault she's not like an ugly lady or anything like that but my goodness the earrings the baggy clothes the, the, the the shoulder pads i just oh what a horrible time I mean, Tanya Roberts probably would have made it look good anyway, but I'm just uh, going back to that one. But uh, no, this is a rough time for <laughs> for that. Suddenly the frizzy hair of the uh, peasant villagers in the 500s is just like, hmm, you know what? 
maybe that's better. Take it from a functionality standpoint, for as soon as it came out of fashion to wear a sword in public, how long they had to wait for trench coats to be invented to actually be able to defend themselves in the open. Well, if he can fit fish in his kilt, then uh, maybe he can fit it, fit the whole sword into his kilt then. Uh, <laughs> the other one is the... I actually love the look of the Kurgan. Dude looks so scary. And he almost turned down the role because there were facial prosthetics that were required... And uh, he had a bad, uh, or Clancy Brown had a bad allergic reaction to prosthetic glue from portraying Frankenstein's monster in The Bride from 85. And uh, they had to shut that down for three weeks. So he almost didn't do it. And, uh, but I got to say that the whole like biker look that they give him, very scary. Yeah, he's super metal. It was a great look. You know, that 80s kind of greaser leather jacket look. I liked it. Yeah, yeah. Now... One of the bad moments was the makeup that they gave Heather as she looked old. Just get an older actress, please. I mean, she looked like she was E.T. drying up that was all white. You know what? We used to put baby powder on my hair when I was doing drama to make me look old. I feel like that's the level of effort that went into making Heather look old. Yeah, that was a rough go-round. I am not above just picking another actor to do it you know you get a kid to play a kid you get a teenager to play a teenager you get an old person play an old person you know in modern day people can make people look old so amazingly well but this is 1987 they couldn't do it so just get an older lady and you know just say heather and the audience will get it like oh my gosh that's heather yeah agreed another bad direction moment the uh special effects I actually like a lot of the electricity and stuff that uh, we've kind of been making fun of. And uh, I love some of the lighting and stuff like that in this. Again, camera work and lighting good sound bad. Special effects, though, I think that you're cooler on them than I am, Brian. Well, if it weren't for just the, like, if you have to strap a car battery to somebody and do that, like, I just, that that's the piece that I was I was off on. I think they did the best job they could trying to make a very epic exchange of power seem as epic as it is. That's one of the few things that has had good continuity throughout the, the various series of Highlander is this whole lightning, you're, you're absorbing their power piece. It's, it's one of the more interesting things that they do on the, uh, on the TV show is when you get into some of these groups that hunt immortals that are human and they start talking about the knowledge that's lost when you know they're able to overcome them and there is no quickening and there is no exchange of that power so i i think that that they set a standard for it in this movie whether cheesy or not uh in later times they get more you know budget obviously to and technology progresses to a point to make it a little you know a little bit more reasonable but it's supposed to be a grandstand it's supposed to be a this is the hollywood sign exploding because the transfer is so intense and you know they're weakened after that happens because it's so intense so 
no, I don't really have a I have an issue with how they ran that. Okay, so you were you were okay with it then? Because my yeah. biggest part of the the both of these things, I love the pyrotechnics. I love the glass breaking in the end when he's absorbing his powers. I like when they lift him up and rotate him on a wire in a dark room, and then they actually go back and animate all this white lightning. That some of it's got images and stuff that are built into it. I mean, very music video like again to Chad's point. But I actually liked a lot of that. What I didn't like was again. I'm going to come back to the same point of the sound mixing. It sounded like, you know, when uh, we had Jean-Claude Van Damme get his stuff thrown into his eye in Bloodsport, like, of like, oh, 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 <laughs> I'm just like, stop it. This Very taxing. Everything looks good, and the sound is so bad and out of balance. Another moment of just frustration with that. What about you, Chad? Like, good effects, bad effects, you like them for what they are? First and foremost, I think I'm happy that I didn't know that attaching this car battery to yourself and sword fighting was a possibility in high school because that seems <laughs> exactly what we would have done. But uh, I do think I, you would have done that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And we knew somebody who had easy access to car batteries. Yeah. So. <laughs> but uh, yeah, some of the CGI is dated. I I didn't like a lot of the things that surround the quickening but i i just take it as it comes it's it's a product of its time so some of the dragons or whatever they're swirling around him in the quickening it's like eh not great but to your point the sound is just goofy like after the first uh sex scene it's interrupted by a lion roaring by the way the heck was that yeah exactly (laughs) that's an exact trend like this movie has great transitions. Like there's like when they're in the garage, they go through a column and they're back in like olden times and they transition in the darkness of the garage at the column. And then next thing you know, you're at this beautiful sunset and it's just done so well. But then you're right. Then they have moments like that, which by the way, that scene is kind of steamy and it's really well shot. And I'm just sitting there going like, wow, this is, that's really good work. And then you're right. The next thing you know, you got a lion roaring in your face. And I'm like, <laughs> why? What, what? What? Who said that was good? Huh? How else would you symbolize orgasm than a lion? Oh, yeah. I mean, every time, just lions. Uh, is yeah. that what they were going for? I didn't... I mean, again, they did a really good job of making a nice tender scene, and then they do that, so I'm, <laughs> I'm, frus- I'm frustrated by that. Um, so, uh, no, it's that's really good point, Chad. Uh, now, soundtrack, we've been tabling it for a while. This There's something more to talk about here than usual. Brian... A lot of Queen music here. What was your What were your take here? There's just one Queen song that matters, and it should, and forever be, the song for Highlander. Like there is no other song that I would associate with Highlander over that one. Are you talking about Princess, Princess. of the Universe? Yeah. Yes. So they used it in the, the movies. They used it in the show. It has been easily the, the, the most continuity Highlander has had is that song. I, I almost feel like, it, and if, if it was, I, don't, I just don't know. I feel like that song was made for Highlander. It was. So it, yep. it's, yeah, that's, that's it. Like that, that is the Highlander song. Queen was only intended to record one song for this movie, but after seeing footage of the movie, they just got so inspired. They dug the source material, the band members, uh, you know, Brian May is just like a, you know, gets into it. And, you know, the theme of, you know, this this is a band that likes the theatrics. And so they, they just go into it. And then they wrote uh, Who Wants to Live Forever. 
on a cab ride home and then roger taylor used the line of it's kind of like magic and then that's the whole basis of a song which that works its way into the movie queen just picked this thing up and ran with it and they really went to town with it and considering that other people were considered initially like uh you know david bowie sting and duran duran were all considered uh you know queen gave they them more the than their right money's choice. worth <laughs> yeah they made the right choice yeah <laughs> well i don't know bowie's pretty awesome too Although this is not his era, if you ask me, like I I, I prefer older Bowie than this. Than I, this era. I'm not I'm not saying that like this would be one of those what ifs, like what if Bowie did all this? But I like I so closely associate Queen with Highlander that I would not have it any other way. Yeah, I'm I'm not a Bowie fan, and honestly, from the first note of Princes of the Universe, this movie has me. I, that song is probably my favorite Queen song. Whoa! I know. I really like Queen, but I think wow. Princes of the Universe is just that good. Wow. Uh, sorry, that, that has to soak in. Uh, okay. Honestly, <laughs> um, I would say in terms of the import of the song and something else that I love heavily, I would probably agree with Chad. Um, in terms of a stand standalone track, probably not over Bohemian Rhapsody. I want to break free. No, I'm I'm just saying that that the way that they the way that this is interlaced into something else I love. Okay, so, like okay. Queen. Okay, like Highlander. Them coming together in one synonymous thing uh, amplifies the importance of that one song. But you know, under pressure, I mean. You know, so. I'm not Mr. Synthesizer guy, but you know, I, 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 Queen does a better job here of doing it. Who wants to live forever? Is the one that I actually like the most in this. It's not as up tempo or as mm. hard hitting as Princes of the Universe. Or sorry, uh, Princes. And they do, and, and they do use that song periodically through the show and through the later movies as well. So what it, a good line though. Other... Who wants to live forever? Like the, the, but, it does kind of lend itself to like this is not always a blessing. That is the that is the Omega track to Princes of the Universe's Alpha track, and it reminds so me the, a lot the, of like you know uh, you know there's this TV show called Torchwood and and in it Captain Jack uh, played by John Barman is an immortal and you know he has multiple relationships and he kind of just goes through life and uh, you know this movie kind of goes with the whole like lonely approach and stuff like that. It's kind of one of those interesting things where I. Don't think that I'd want to stay alone that long. I, I mean, you, it would be sad to lose all your friends and you, and loved ones and, and that connection. But I, I, I just I think that I would have to continue to make those connections throughout time. I just uh, it's one of those things in this movie that he wears it with such pain. And that song resonates and makes you feel how he feels, because for him, there's only Heather and there can only be Heather for him. And uh, he's just got to avoid. And, uh, you know, he's just got to get to the prize and there's nothing else for him but uh i think that song captures that so well so some of the other songs i'm I, this may not be a popular opinion because i think the queen stuff's usually well regarded but i'll be honest with you sometimes the direction the mixing of what's happening there's a times where i just want a lord of the rings howard shore score to go with this and maybe not queen and as a huge queen fan i feel bad for saying that but maybe it's just more fitting for the movie yeah, I want the bombast of Queen. I want that in-your-face 80s-ness. Okay. Okay. Yeah, like I said, I, what I just said is probably not popular because I, I can see around, like, everybody's, like, digging the Queen and 
again, the band's grown to be come, you know, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame legends. It is one of those ones that had me sitting there. There were a couple of moments that it didn't work for me as well. So Pain is So Close to Pleasure uh, was, you know, one that kind of didn't work for me. And then uh, the New York, New York, uh, we know where Freddie Mercury is like doing some great vocal work on that. But when Kurgan's just driving Brenda around with that, I felt like that went on for too long. And just, I was just like, you're pulling me out of it. Yep. Same same thing in my notes. Said so this is going on Great. a bit too far. Yeah. Well, what do you guys say we get into the best part of the show? Superlative time. Sounds good. Absolutely. Brian, you want to start us off with your MVP? Uh, I'm going to go with Sean Connery. Uh, although I have some uh, issue with his backstory, I think he is truly the best part of this movie. They went away from the Ramirez uh, father figure trainee or trainer trainee piece in the TV show, and they kind of did that for good reason. They brought it back for the the, the kids cartoon later on, which I've kind of dug that a little bit too, just having him as a part of the series. So if they could really nail down that in a better way, I think that that is it's such a good extra character to have in a long-running or a longer-standing series. Watching him hold a sword made me think of Celebrity Jeopardy with a shorge for 500. <laughs> it is S-words. Um, Chad, who is your MVP? Sean Connery. I feel like he really lends legitimacy to this movie, and I kind of wonder, without him, does this movie... Uh, achieve cult status would people have seen this movie without sean connery it's a good question i mean he certainly helps i i'm gonna just take a different path here i'm gonna go with gregory wyden for just writing the story what an interesting piece of writing that this like brian said there's a lot of potential here and you can tell with all the spinoffs and whatnot but as we've talked about it i really like what happened here and i love sean connery's performance in it but i think i would like to see this remade and i think gregory wyden's material has another life to live in it. Okay, good choice. Uh, best supporting actor, Brian. I'm going with Kurgan, man. Like that. How much fun was that guy? Like Clancy that, Brown. Like yeah, Clancy Brown's part in this was just so much fun. Um, you could tell he had fun playing it. Prosthetics or no, like I want you to be as crazily evil as you could possibly think of. Okay, I got it. <laughs> when he said don't speak to me to that guy i was pretty chilled i was like whoa yeah uh what about you chad brian's killing me over here but yeah it's the kurgan he's the perfect amount of cheese and threat and i love that clancy brown in real life he apologized to the priests and nuns after the church scene because he was afraid he actually offended them but just going all out and licking the nuns or the, the yeah. priest's hand. <laughs> just over the top ridiculousness. And I I thought he was the best casting of this movie. Well, I'm not going to send Sean Connery away empty-handed. Uh, he easily could have been the MVP, but I'm going to just go ahead and give him best supporting actor here. So uh, as you guys mentioned, this movie is nowhere near as good without him. And, you know, in another parallel universe, I sometimes wonder, what if you, even though he's older... What if you put Sean Connery into the lead role? How much better is this movie? I think that he probably was placing too old for it. I don't know, man. He got sexiest man in the world around this time. 
I, I hear you, but if you're going for the lean, young, cut guy who's been along, uh, alive for a long time, the reason he was cast as the mentor role is because he fits the part of the mentor role. Yeah, that's fair. But uh, it just using the actual especially for the 80s yeah right now i hear you but especially for the 80s like i i totally get it i see where you're going with the age being an issue but uh just i'm saying put your strongest actor in the strongest uh role there so uh they probably couldn't have afforded them and you're right now hidden gem wait sorry where i've lost track yep yeah that's it yep now brian or actually chad you've had your last two stolen who is your hidden gem chad Fry steals this one. I'm just stunned. So I'm going to beat him to it. Sam Fatu, who is the Samoan savage Tongan kid. He's one of the wrestlers in the opening. He's actually a member of the Anoa'i family. It's a very famous WCW, WWE, AWA family, uh, twin of Rikishi. they've, They've got a lot of representation in current wrestling. So it was cool to see him. Nice. Now, Brian, who's your hidden gem? Uh, I'm going to go with Peter Diamond, who is really not a primary character in this at all, but um, I'm giving him hidden gem because he's, in fact, a Tuscan Raider. Yes. And who is he in this? Uh, Fasil? Yeah. Yeah, His IMDb picture is just him as a Tuscan Raider. Like, I was sold as soon as I saw it. I was like, yep, that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you guys mentioned it earlier, but I'm going to go with James Cosmo. He is the older, redheaded gentleman in Braveheart. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he's doing the exact same thing here. He's a a tough Scottish warrior here, you know, 10 years before. So uh, he's so good in this, though. He's one of the only other characters who has... uh, some good emotion attached to him in those flashbacks. And I wish he had had a little more time on screen. So he plays Angus McLeod. Yep. He's also Jor Mormont on Game yep. of Thrones. Uh-huh. It's true. And he's in a 19, uh, or I'm sorry, 2019 uh, a spoof called Boys in the Wood. Why not? If you had to recast somebody, who would it be and who are you putting in their place, Brian? You know, I feel like this is where the, the boggle game comes in with the people you announced earlier. I'm intrigued by Liam Neeson just because of his work with Rob Roy, and I really enjoyed that movie. But uh, you hit on so many different people on that that I hadn't considered and I think would have been or could have been good that I, I would say that that entire list that you uh, that you said at the beginning of it, 30% of it was intriguing and 60% of it was horrifying. Anybody in particular you want to put in? So it sounds like you're going for Christopher Lambert. No, like I said, Liam Neeson was probably the uh, the, the one that um, that I'm most intrigued by. But I will say this: that I was a huge fan of the uh, Adrian Paul Highlander. So if 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 I had to make all of this one thing, I would have gone with Adrian Paul. Okay. Now, Chad, who is your recast? I'm too intrigued with. Tanya Roberts as Brenda, so I like the potential there. I'm casting her as Brenda. Oh, well, I'm a huge fan of that. I still have to come after you, Christopher Lambert. You know, 
not speaking English. Yeah. I, they I, tried this thing where they created a non-regional yeah. diction yep. that would just be foreign to all times and locations, which was a direction decision they did. I think it was a bad decision. I mean, he's it, from many places, Russell. Yeah, well, he'd have a lot of languages and accents under his belt, and he'd be pretty good at adapting to wherever he goes in time. So I think that that's stupid. But um, <laughs> <laughs> that really got under my skin. I'm sorry. The uh, so I'm gonna go after Christopher Lambert. You're not wrong. Yeah, and uh, I, I like your knee, Liam Neeson pick. I really thought about the Kurt Russell, like the intended casting thing. I, I don't know that I would want to take him away from uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, but I am thinking about Gary Oldman, just a guy I really like. And he does so many different things. Whatever you get out of him here, you, it's not like anything else he does later. He comes in so many different flavors, shapes, forms, and appearances. So I just I think I'm going to go with Gary Oldman. Hmm. I think I got a poo-poo on Kurt Russell, like, very specifically, just because huh. it just I, – I like Kurt Russell, but not in this part. Um, I think this is one of those parts that I would prefer seeing somebody – at the very least, English, but more prominently Scottish descent playing the part. I think that if you're going to go with this sort of plot, I don't want to see just an American actor who's popular at the time doing it. Okay. All right, then. Now, best shot of the movie, Brian. You know, I like the first quickening, like the very first one they shot. I On mean, the coast with the like, like lightning? Yeah, and, and well, no, it's the uh, the one with the in the uh, MSG. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah sorry, garage. you're right. That was the first one. Yeah, so just the the cars start driving themselves, kind of thing, and and even the escape sequence after that, where he's speeding out, and they're like, "Where are you going in such a hurry?" And you basically have him fighting cops, and the fi- cops are beating him up. Like you get a little taste of what the view is of authority at that time, and and all all of that was was kind of spicy. Okay. Best shot for you, Chad. The Kurgan driving down the highway at night. There's a really nice shot of the river along with the skyline. So I thought that was a good shot. Interesting. So my best shot is going to be the duel in the warehouse. I mean, I'm shocked nobody else said this one. So it's the it's the big showdown. If they break through the skylight and they're in a warehouse, everything's very dark. And they've got these big, big, big windows behind them with very like blue pale like nighttime lighting coming in and they're in just silhouettes and it's so reminiscent of uh empire strikes back i mean it's deliberate but the fact of the matter is they're moving the camera on this panning motion as they're as they're sidestepping with the swords and it looks really good so this is one of those moments where i said how can this movie have such failures and have such successes this is one of those successes where you go like that's good direction way to go russell mulicky yeah and, and by the way in in that garage scene that you're talking about there's some good shots in that too. Like they zoom in and like as uh, Connor's like dashing towards him, or I guess Russell Nash at this point is dashing towards uh, his uh, opponent. I was just sitting there going like, man, that's a good shot right away. The eye transition was great too. Th- this was actually a hard best shot to pick because there was a lot of really good ones I couldn't mention. Best scene though, Brian. You know, I like a whole lot of the montage pieces with him and Sean Connery training. and and landscaping pieces there this is one of the hallmark actions of both the movies and the the tv show is showing you scenery of you know where they're talking about and i think it's really an unsung piece nice that mountaintop scene was really beautiful Mm. now what is your best scene chad i like the church scene this is pete kurgan 
He's crude, he's cheesy, but you can really get the tension between him and Connor, and it's cool seeing Kurgan remind Connor that they're on holy ground. So even though he's licking priests and just being abrasive as he can be... Overly obscene. Yes. Yeah, yeah he, he's like, there are rules to my nonsense. I did, you know, this is one of Lambert's better moments too, because like, again, it's not a speaking moment when... Uh, you know, Kurgan's like, oh, I see. That wasn't his woman. That was your woman. And like, right. like as as Connor's face like turns up at him and with anger and like that transition of absolute rage in his face. That was probably really that. Like, I was sitting there going like, good job. There were no lines there and you'd nailed it. <laughs> For me, my best scene is going to be when Kate grows old with Connor. It's just it's so incredibly tender. I knocked the makeup and I said that that pulled me out of it and I wanted a different actress in there. But the general premise makes me think of what, you know, if I had, if I got to live and be immortal, I would be okay with that instead of, uh, you know, like going from life to life and reconnecting with people. It, it's, it shows you the hard part of the pain of being immortal and it's sweet. It's, it's hard to watch at the same time. And I really enjoyed it. And I, you know, it was touching when they talked about if they wanted to have kids and they could, and I really liked that final duel in the end, but somehow this, this is the part that really stuck with me. And the, again, the queen music of who wants to live forever playing here is uh, making it all elevate for me. So it's all coming together here. Yeah. There was a sweet scene. Change one thing, Brian. I, I would like a little bit of the the barnacles shucked off this movie like there there's just some stuff that was unnecessary and if if you know i'm usually all for director's cuts in this case i feel like someone took the steering wheel and said you you, you're drunk let let me drive and some of the little like there are little things throughout this movie that if you just change them a little bit or remove them all together this becomes a more palatable film in terms of help help me turn this off or help me help me get into this in a way that i'm not getting thrown out of that disbelief more often that's fair uh well you so you're kind of saying like i only need one evil joyride with the kurgan instead of two (laughs) right i'm saying that there's just there's enough in this movie that is is good that you can take some of the just wildly sensational pieces or inaccuracies in it that are just just flaunted okay not not even like a deep cut like if you did the math on it like this isn't add up like you can take stuff that people sitting in the theater can be like well that's just wrong (laughs) you know what i mean yeah now chad change one thing more decapitations this means we get more shots through history more fights that's the highlight of the movie for me and i just want more of it my change one thing i've harped on it five times so guess what guess what i'm gonna say sound yeah mm-hmm. the sound editing and sound mixing is awful i i, I can even t- i can tolerate dubbing to be honest with you but when everything is dead quiet and somebody's too bold out there i mean there are older movies that do this better than this and it's to me the roughest part of this movie and uh yeah i almost said uh i almost said the joy rides need to cut back uh the the old woman going dad help me daddy help me daddy daddy help me i'm sitting there going like they kept this (laughs) i like that he gets in and calls her mom so 80s yeah Uh, anyway though i'm with brian there's there's some superfluous nicks and frills to cut but overall the, the sound is a consistent plague throughout the end of this. So, best quote of the movie, Brian. I think it's got to go with the uh, the Spanish peacock. 
Yeah, I think it's got to be Spanish Peacock. I just, just, just because how ridiculous Ramirez's character is, and then to have someone who can't speak English call Scott a Spanish Peacock. There's just, there's just so much wrapped and wrapped up in that line that that yeah, I think that's got to be it. Now, Chad, best quote. There can be only one. Yeah, that's nope. that's the icon. Yeah. That's mine as well. I I also enjoyed the flashback to the Renaissance days where they like were having a duel with the swords and he couldn't kill him. And I did enjoy him getting up with uh, the wig disheveled. And he's like, I apologize for calling your wife a bloated warthog. I bid you good day, and just walks <laughs> off. And the guy's so frustrated. Uh, that was a funny scene. That I I like. This is part of the part that wasn't in the original script and. I like the tone shift. I didn't mind a little bit of humor. Uh, that was just a runner up and a nod because Chad's right. Connor's there can be only one it was perfect. So no one picked. I hope you get your head chopped off or take care of yourself. Don't lose your head. Yeah. See. Yeah. And there's a queen song called don't lose your head too. So yeah, they, uh, they really leaned into that one. Hot take time. Anybody with a hot take? You know, I, I just, from a movie that I loved so much as a kid to rewatching it much later after taking a, a step away, I, like I had mentioned with the things I would have removed from it, there was a point, and maybe this just caught me at the wrong time or something, but there was a point during some of the fight scenes and then some of the, like Russell has said, the dub overs, like the criticisms of this movie are real. And gosh, it made it for a tough rewatch after that much time. I mean, Fry's right. There were some weird things going on. Like, Russell, you made the point earlier of, or it might have been Brian, of how they viewed New York Police Department authority. Like, the interrogations scene when it, he, the one cop out of nowhere, he's just like, Are you a fat? I'm like, Well, that was oh, jarring. Yeah. yeah. Like, they were <laughs> yeah, just really, like, well. pushing that. And you're like, Wow, geez. That, yeah. why would you go straight to that? right so i mean fries fries right uh maybe a remake's in store i still want a cheesy remake but a new one with some less jarring things well around this is like circa 2012 they were kicking around doing a remake for this and i'm actually kind of happy it didn't happen because at the time they were trying to tap ryan reynolds for the part of highlander why not well no I, I guess it's not if his going, thing. yeah. I mean, if you're trying to go with maybe a slightly more comedic role, I know there's some comedy in this, but that's not the direction that I would have wanted it to either in 2012 or now. If if you were looking for someone who has done more serious roles to try to break out of a typecasting piece, I think Ryan Reynolds is a phenomenal actor, but. I, I, that would worry me. That would be a worrying casting call. Brian, on a five-star scale with half-star intervals, what would you rate Highlander? I'm going to give this movie a three-star, and it's just because of rewatchability. I'm, I'm still with it. I'm still a fan. But, man, there's some parts that just gut-punched me on this one. Chad, what about you, man? On a five-star scale, what would you give Highlander? I'm giving it four stars. 
It has a ton of problems. It's cheesy. It's inappropriate at times, like we've talked about, and the effects are hardly state-of-the-art anymore. But it's a good time every time I see it, so I'll keep coming back. Four stars. I had a really hard time with this one. I was between the 3.5 and the 4 zone, and I like it a lot to the point where I'm sitting there. I just My enjoyment of this movie should push me into the 4 range, but as we've talked about it, the failures are blatant and I'm, 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 I'm torn. And so bad, bad lead actor and some question inconsistencies with the direction because the direction was inconsistent. And I think the fact that I find myself saying I want a remake for this, that's not a good thing to come out of a movie saying, I don't say that generally speaking. So this is going to land it in the 3.5 brilliant premises. Brian said, I have fun watching it, and I feel bad for giving it a 3.5, but it's a 3.5 with love. Oh, I'm totally yeah, taking absolutely. my critic my critic eyeglasses off yeah. when I give it a four stars. Oh, and that like that that's my bad. This is probably where I went wrong with the rewatch on this. Was I was like, okay, I'm gonna get some, you know, I'm gonna be nitty gritty on this. I'm not gonna take this just from a fanboy standpoint of loving Highlander. And from the first scene, I was just like, oh god. <laughs> this is a mistake. It's like drunk goggles. I was like, okay, I'm going to take these. Oh, no. I shouldn't have. <laughs> this movie it's isn't as pretty that, as I thought it was. Yeah, once you really pay attention to something like this, you're like, oh, gosh. Yeah, I, I, never, I never want this podcast to make me like movies that I loved before less. So <laughs> I'm trying to keep that little bit of me. Chad, do you want to help me pick a movie for next time? Yes, I do, Russell. We're gonna get we're gonna go with the science fiction option on this one. So, option number one from two thousand nine, Moon. Astronaut Sam Bell has an unexpected encounter at the end of his three year stint on the Moon, where he sends back to Earth parcels of a resource that has helped diminish the, our planet's power problems. Option two, Silent Running from nineteen seventy two. In a future where flora is extinct on Earth, an astronaut is given orders to destroy the last of Earth's botany. Keep kept in a greenhouse aboard a spacecraft. And option three, Gattaca from 1997. A genetically inferior man assumes the identity of a superior one in order to pursue his lifelong dream of space travel. Hmm. All of these would be new movies to me, but I think I'm going to go with Gattaca. All right. Sounds good. Gattaca it is. Brian, thank you, man. Thank you. Chad, thank you. Absolutely. And thank you all the Lords, Ladies, Knights, the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Those ratings and reviews really help promote the show and help us show up in search results. So if you like at all what we're doing, go ahead and give us one of those five-star reviews. We really, really appreciate it. Like us on Facebook. Engage with us there. Uh, we're on Twitter at, at movie underscore retro. Email us at Retro movie roundtable at yahoo.com if you want to go into deeper discussion, make a request, or if you want to be on the show. Also, we have a Patreon page set up at www.patreon.com forward slash retro movie roundtable, all one word. Anybody who wants to contribute to the show financially, we appreciate it. Uh, making a podcast is not free. We have fun doing it, but if you want to support us in any way, we're available there. There's some bonus content available out there for you too. Our humble beginnings can be downloaded and listened to there. So as always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Brian? 
This is a shout out to a lost friend here recently, but I will miss our conversations.